Well, good evening. I trust you're having a good week, and I'm glad you could make it out tonight. Uh, our text tonight is going to be Mark chapter 10. So if you could open your Bible there, please. And a particular portion of Scripture we'll be focusing on is from verse 46 down to verse 52, which is the account of blind Bartimaeus. So Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 46. Uh, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. The title for our study tonight is I Was Blind, But Now I See. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this night you've given to us. Thank you that we can take uh, some time now to study uh, your word. Uh, thank you uh, that you have spoken. Thank you that what we have before us is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. We thank you that it's sufficient uh, for all matters of faith and practice. We thank you that it's clear, that we can understand it. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who, who helps us uh, to understand the word. And uh, we do pray uh, that you would grant to us uh, the gift of illumination this night. Help us to understand what's written. Uh, but most of all, please grant to us the grace that we need to apply your word. Uh, for we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, this uh, particular miracle recorded before us is quite unique. It is one of four documented miracles of restoring sight. Uh, but unlike the other three miracles, this is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, that being Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whereas the others are recorded just once. Okay, so immediately its significance is highlighted. Now Jericho, where this miraculous healing was performed, was a beautiful city. Herod the Great had constructed much infrastructure and he used this place as his winter palace. It was known for its fertility and exquisite gardens. It was affectionately known as a little paradise and hence it was quite a desirous place. So much so that Mark Antony actually gifted this place to Cleopatra as a token of his affection. But something interesting about this place is that this is the only recorded miracle in this city. 
And it was in close proximity to Jerusalem. And hence Jesus would have made his way through Jericho on many occasions. And yet this is the only recorded healing in the parameters of this town. Now a personal name is also mentioned in this account which further adds to the uniqueness of this miracle. In the Synoptic Gospels, the first name of the recipient of the plethora of miracles that Jesus performed is not revealed. In the Gospel of John, there's an exception, that being Lazarus. And yet in this miracle, the name of the man is revealed. His name is Bartimaeus. The preposition Bar in Aramaic means the son of, so his name means the son of Timaeus. And most scholars feel as though his name is given because he became an influential and well-known figure in the early church. And hence, when the original readers read this, they would know who this man was instantly. It's like, oh, Bartimaeus, you know, he's in the church of Jerusalem. He's one of the elders or something like that. Now, this miracle is also the last healing miracle in the Gospel of Mark recorded before the cross. And in fact, it's one of the final miracles before the greatest miracle of the resurrection. So it's obvious that this miracle is of particular significance. Now, at this point in time, Jesus, in keeping with the divine timetable, has set his eyes on Jerusalem. And in the text, he and his disciples are on the final leg of the journey. Okay, they had left the area of Perea, they had crossed over the Jordan River east of Jericho, and that was following the usual path to Jerusalem, remembering Jews refused to go through Samaria. Okay, and the city of Jericho was one of the last stops before the final ascent to Jerusalem. Okay, scholars believe it's around about a six-hour hike from Jericho to the Holy City. Now, as Jesus and his disciples made this journey, quite the crowd was following them. And a multitude had also gathered in the streets of Jericho. Our text tells us in verse 46 that a great number was present. In Matthew's account, he records there was a great multitude. Now, we need to remember that Passover was nigh. And hence, many would be making the journey to Jerusalem. Remembering the Old Testament okay, commanded that all the men would have to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. You know, some scholars suggest that the, the standard population of Jerusalem was around about 120,000. And this would swell to 2 to 3 million during the time of Passover. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but it shows us how many people would flock to the city. So these swollen crowds were composed of Passover pilgrims. It's much like Christmas time in our shopping centers, okay? it's overflowing, completely crowded, people everywhere. That's the sense. Okay, and we also need to remember that Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany. Okay, Bethany is not far from Jericho, and one would assume that such news will travel quite quickly. And hence, many would have been curious that they want to catch a glimpse of this man who has performed such a miracle. You know, imagine if we heard on Facebook that there was someone in Bankstown who would raise someone from the dead and it had been verified. Okay, he or she would be very 
popular. And hence this too helps to explain the great multitudes present at this time. You know what's particularly interesting is that as Jesus approaches the culmination of his earthly ministry, that being his work on the cross, he no longer shunned the crowds like he had in the early parts of his ministry. Okay, for a lot of his ministry, Jesus often can move locations. He didn't pursue a large following. But it seemed now as the hour of the cross approached that the more people that witnessed this, the better. And with such large crowds traveling to Jerusalem, this was the opportune time for a beggar to set up on the side of the road. Okay, this was a prime business opportunity, if you like. Okay, they're hoping to benefit from the larger numbers of traffic coming through Jericho. And also, you would assume, pilgrims going to a religious festival, surely they would have to be feeling particularly generous. And hence, this is what Bartimaeus had done. He set himself up on the side of the road with his hat or his cup, hoping to receive some gifts. We learn in the text that Bartimaeus was blind. Now, whether this was from birth or from an injury or a disease later on in life, we cannot be certain. Blindness was a very common disease in Bible times. Now, some suggest that since his father's name is mentioned, it may mean that his father too was blind and this was a genetic problem. And that may be the case, but I don't believe that conclusion can be made from the text conclusively. But what we do know for sure is that he was blind. And this meant he had quite a miserable existence. Now, have you ever thought about what would be the worst of our senses to lose? Now, I'm sure any would be incredibly challenging. I think it's like anything, you don't realize how much you use it until you lose it. But in my mind, losing one's sight, that would have to be incredibly difficult. Okay? It would be horrendous. Imagine trying to live your life and you can't see anything in front of you. That would make everything so difficult. Imagine never being able to see the beauty of creation again. Imagine never being able to see the face of a loved one again. Imagine being so dependent and reliant on those around you. That would be quite a burden to bear. And in Bible times, it wasn't just the difficulty of the disability. Okay, but understand, there was no government assistance like in our society, and hence blindness and, and other disabilities usually led to one becoming a beggar. Okay, this is the only way to survive. Very degrading, incredibly humiliating. And adding to, to all of this was the fact that there was quite a stigma attached to sickness, disease, and disability by society. Okay, one with a disability was regarded as lower than a slave, but just a little bit higher than a tax collector. Okay, they were despised, they were mistreated, they were rejected, they were shamed. And within their theology, okay, the Jews of this time regarded disease and disability as divine judgment. Okay, that was the common belief. I'm not sure if you remember the accounts in John chapter 9. Okay, there was a man who had been blind from birth. And the question that Jesus' disciples asked was this, 
Was it the sin of this man or was it the sin of his parents that caused this blindness? Okay, and that reveals that was the commonly held belief. Okay, but Jesus debunked that thinking as wrong. Okay, and we need to be careful that we don't succumb to such false teaching. Okay, sickness or disease or disability is not necessarily okay, a direct result of something that you have done. Now, now, of course, we can trace it back to sin. Okay, every bad thing goes back to sin, but it's not necessarily something that one has done. But despite Jesus' teaching on this topic, most people considered folk with a disability to have committed some kind of atrocious sin. Okay, they had to do something really bad in order to merit such a punishment, and hence they were treated despicably. So with that in mind, here we have Bartimaeus. According to Matthew, there was another blind man with him. And as they wait patiently on the side of the road on yet another day, hoping and praying that people would be passing by and that people would be particularly generous, Bartimaeus hears a greater commotion than normal. Okay, remembering that blind people have a sharper sense of hearing. And this man knows that something out of the ordinary must be occurring. Okay, this was not just an ordinary day at Jericho. Okay, there was never this much noise. Something was different. And hence he asks, oh, what's, what's going on? And he's told that Jesus of Nazareth is present. And upon hearing this, his reaction is simply outstanding. It's a wonderful illustration of faith. Okay, Bartimaeus he had never seen Jesus. Okay, that's obvious. But he heard about him. He heard about his teaching. He heard about his miracles. And hence he cries out. This verb cry out has the idea of screaming or, or yelling. It's a, it's a loud shout. Everyone would hear this. Okay, he didn't care what, what anyone else thought. And he bellows out, son of David, have mercy on me. Can try and picture this, this poor, helpless man. And he's loudly and humbly making this declaration. All around him would hear it. And what an impressive declaration it was. Okay, the title, son of David, this is the first time it's used in the Gospel of Mark. But it's recognized as a messianic title and it recalled the divine promises of the Davidic covenant. So Bartimaeus in this pronunciation is declaring his belief that Jesus is Messiah. And it's interesting that he uses this kingly title just before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, which follows in Mark chapter 11. But how impressive that this blind man, okay, this one who was very low on the socioeconomic ladder, this one who was despised by the general population, and yet when it comes to Jesus, he got it. Okay, he understood who Jesus was, despite not being able to see him, when so many others completely missed it. And his understanding of Jesus is further seen when he says in verse 48, have mercy on me. This is an acknowledgement of his unworthiness. 
of his helplessness. He, he understood that he did not deserve the attention of Jesus. He didn't deserve to be healed and hence he pleads for mercy. But notice the response to this cry from the crowds in verse 48. Many try to make him be quiet. Not just one or two individuals, but the majority. Bartimaeus, be quiet. Stop yelling. You're embarrassing. Bartimaeus, you're making a fool of yourself. Just be quiet. That's enough. As if Jesus would stop for you. Jesus is busy. Just just be quiet. Bartimaeus, if you stop talking, I'll give you some coins. And this further reveals how society regarded those with a disability. His outcry prompted no sympathy whatsoever. But I love Bartimaeus' response. Everyone is telling him to, to stop. Be quiet. Stop bothering Jesus. What does he do? What does he do? Well, he yells even louder. He ignores their persistent efforts to silence him. He doesn't care what they think. He knows that he needs Jesus. He knows that Jesus is his only hope. And hence he strives all the more to gain his attention. You know, I'd love to have witnessed this scene. Okay, notice in verse 49, this records the response of Jesus. Such a tender verse, it says, and Jesus stood still. Okay, he heard the cries and he stopped. This cry was not ignored, but rather Jesus responded compassionately and asked for the man to be brought to him. And I wonder if Bartimaeus had any idea what was going on. What was there a silence that swept over the crowd as Jesus stopped? Would Bartimaeus be aware of this? We can't be sure. But what we do know is that when the news was brought to him that Jesus wanted to see him, He was thrilled. The text tells us that he removed his garment. This was his outer cloak. So it was a a large and bulky jacket, a bit like a trench coat. And that would slow him down, potentially trip him over. So he rips that off, leaves his begging post. There is this real zeal and he is immediately brought to Jesus. Can you picture his heart beating faster, his palms sweaty, probably a little bit nervous, but also incredibly excited as he's brought before Jesus. And how wonderful it must have been for this man to hear his voice. But Jesus poses a question that is somewhat perplexing. And as we first read it, it may even come across a little rude. Verse 51, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? That's an interesting question, wasn't it? Rather obvious what this man required. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he would want. And hence, why ask this question? Well, I think this question was asked for two reasons. Okay, number one. Jesus had asked the disciples the same question. In the previous portion of scripture, the disciples had been asked this question. that We see it in verse 36. And the answer that they gave, it it wasn't a good one. They wanted to sit with Jesus on the throne. They wanted to have prestige. They wanted to have power. 
Okay, that was their request. They, they wanted to be honored. And hence this question must have immediately stung the disciples and also reveal a much better answer than their own. The second thing is that Jesus wanted him to declare or to confess his need with his mouth. And Bartimaeus makes the obvious request. He says, Lord, I want to receive my sight. And I wonder what the reaction of the crowd was upon hearing this request. What were their snickers? Were there snarls? What was he told to sit down? Bartimaeus, you're out of your minds. Or, or were people looking on very intently in anticipation? What we do know is that Jesus heard the request. And on account of his faith. Okay, notice it's faith that is emphasized. He believed Jesus could heal him and he is immediately and completely healed that's amazing immediately this is not some trick this is not some sleight of hand but genuine healing okay what spectacular power okay how, how astounding that's in one mo in one moment there's complete blindness and then the next there is unimpaired vision jesus healed him with a compassionate touch and imagine what that must have been like for Bartimaeus to finally see okay, to, to experience that the lights and all of the brilliant colors around him to see the trees to see the sky to see the people and the very first thing that he would have seen is Jesus I can't help but to envision Bartimaeus embracing Jesus after this encounter and how would have the crowds responded there must have been some gasps there must have been some dropped jaws particularly from the locals at jericho that they knew bartimaeus and here they witnessed with their own eyes the healing of this man is it any wonder that the crowds lined the streets of jerusalem and wanted to crown jesus as king bartimaeus was blind but now he could see I want to draw your attention to three things that this healing reveals. Okay, so number one, the identity of Jesus is seen in this healing. Okay, who is Jesus? That's a very important question. One of life's most important questions for you to answer. And this miracle helps us understand his identity. In fact, it's made crystal clear that he is the long-awaited messiah he's god okay jesus is not just a prophet he's not just a teacher he's not just a moral example as some say he's, he's not just a great man but he is the god man okay, my friend jesus is god okay, and this is proven in the text before us Okay, I want you to notice that Bartimaeus bestowed upon Jesus a messianic title. Thou son of David. Every Jew knew what this title meant. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament scriptures knew that this was a title for Messiah. And this blind man in labeling Jesus with this title is pronouncing that he believes that Jesus is Messiah. And this is the crucial point. Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus does not deny it. 
Jesus does not distance himself from this title. In fact, he accepts it. And what this means is that Jesus is either a lunatic. Okay, he's out of his mind. He's crazy and he's delusional thinking that he's God. Or it means that he is a liar. He accepts this claim despite knowing it's not true. Or it means that he is Lord. Okay, that he is God. And that's what everyone must decide. Is Jesus a lunatic, a liar, or is he Lord? Now the thing is, in performing this miracle, re restoring this man's sight, Jesus proves that he is Lord. Because how can a lunatic, or how can a liar heal a blind man? And it's vital that we understand that both the scriptures... And the rabbis taught that one of the signs of Messiah was healing the blind. This would be something that he would do. And it's interesting that only Jesus heals the blind in the Bible. Okay, prophets and apostles heal various other sicknesses, even raise people from the dead, but not blindness. Because this would be a very clear sign and proof of the identity of of the Messiah. Okay, here are a couple of verses from the Old Testament. Isaiah 35. This is speaking of Messiah. Verse 5 says. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Isaiah 42. Which is about the Lord's servant. It's one of the servant songs. Verses 6 and 7 says. I the Lord have called thee in righteousness. And will hold thy hand. And will keep thee. And give thee for a covenant. Of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes. Okay, healing blindness was something that Messiah would do. It would be a clear proof of the true identity of the long-awaited Messiah. Okay, Psalm 146 verse 8 says, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them up that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. Okay, it is the Lord. It is God who heals the blind, the scriptures are clear. Okay, and this is also clear in the teachings of the rabbis. Okay, the Old Testament experts, they taught and believed that one of the distinguishing features of Messiah would be his ability to restore sight. And right here, just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, he again makes his identity known. You can't say that Jesus never claims to be God. He does it right here. And it ought to have been clear to all who were present. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is God. And it ought to be very clear to you and to me that Jesus is God. Okay? He is one and equal with the Father. He's not just a noble teacher or prophet. He's not just a moral example he is the God-man, fully God, fully man, one and equal with the Father, in essence, equal in power, authority, and glory. That is the identity of Jesus. And this is proven in this miracle recorded before us. The second thing we learn is the integrity of Jesus seen in this healing. You know, at this point in time, as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, okay, he had an 
undescribable burden resting upon his heart. Okay, the cross was fastly approaching. At this point, it's about a week away. And he knew what was installed. And we get a glimpse of this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, we see the anguish that Jesus was feeling as he turned his face and focus to the cross. And surely it isn't unreasonable to think that this is firmly in the mind of Christ as he made his way to the city, to Jerusalem, to the Passover, knowing that he would be the lamb. And it's at this point in time. When he's no doubt carrying a big burden, his eyes are set on the cross. He realizes the culminating work of his ministry is fastly approaching. But despite all of this, despite his own situation, Jesus never lost compassion and sympathy for those in need. Isn't that astonishing? Okay, how easy it would have been for him right here to ignore this situation. Okay, to, to, to be busy or, or distracted at this time, to be too focused on the big picture and hence not stop for this seemingly insignificant individual. And yet Jesus heard the cry and he stopped. In Matthew's account, we're told that he was moved with compassion. And Jesus stooped down to assist this lowly individual. To, to help this one who society despised and rejected. The one who was regarded to be under some form of divine curse for some supposed great atrocity. This one who was an outcast and yet Jesus stopped. He, he took the time to assist this blind and helpless beggar. The one who everyone else ignored. Friend, this is Jesus. He's so full of compassion and sympathy. He saw the plight of this individual and, and he was moved. He, he took the time for this one. He, he assisted him in his great need. Okay, and understand, Jesus could have simply clicked his fingers and, and healed him and continued on his way. But no, he, he stops. He, he gives this one some time he, he interacts with him personally he showers him in love and kindness and heals him with a soft and gentle touch that's jesus and jesus cares for the suffering and hurting our god is one who is full of compassion and love and no one is too low or too insignificant for jesus isn't that wonderful Okay, what this means is that Jesus cares for you. He's, he's full of compassion and sympathy for you when you are in pain and suffering. Okay, when you are physically ill or suffering from some chronic pain, Jesus cares. When you are suffering with mental anguish, it's crippling you, Jesus cares. When you suffer loss. When life seems pointless and hopeless, when the burdens seem unbearable, Jesus cares for you. Jesus is so full of care, kindness and compassion that it permeates his very being. This is who he is 
And he's never too busy. He's, he's never too tired. He's never unavailable to assist and strengthen you in the trials, troubles, and struggles of life. No one cares for you like Jesus. No one loves you like him. And no one understands what you're going through like him. Because we have a saviour who knows exactly what it's like to live in this world. We have a saviour who knows what it's like to suffer. What it's like to hurt because he's endured it all for our sake. And this equips him to be the kind, caring, sympathetic and compassionate companion that we so desperately need. This is who Jesus is, the kind and compassionate one. And we can learn from Jesus in this particular situation. The lesson is this, the importance of not allowing what we are going through to become so all-consuming that we have no time or concern for others. Now, when things are really hard in our life, our capacity may well be hindered. That's fine. Okay? Our God knows that we are but dust. We're weak and we're frail. But it's good for us, even in the tumultuous times, to not lose sight of the needs and struggles of others. Okay? To still practice the, the one another attitudes and actions. Jesus did not neglect this man despite what he was enduring and the mission that he was on. And by God's grace, we need the mind and heart of Jesus and not lose sight of others, even when we have a lot unfolding in our life. And the third thing we see is the imagery in this healing. Now, there's a very clear and powerful picture of salvation seen in this healing miracle. Okay, we in our natural state are blind beggars spiritually. Okay, we're lost. We're hopeless. We're dead in our sin. Wicked, putrid, no hope, destitute, undone, whatever other adjective we want to use. Okay, we're destined to be separated from God for all eternity because of our sin. Okay, we're born in sin. We choose to sin. We love sin. All mankind in the natural state is in a complete and utterly hopeless predicament, just like Bartimaeus. But like him, if we call out to Jesus, okay, if we come unto him, plead for mercy, he will heal us. Not physically, but spiritually, he will save us. He will not cast us out. Okay, whoever comes to Christ, places their faith and trust in him, will be saved. Because after Jesus went through Jericho, he went to Jerusalem. And at the end of the week, he ended up on the cross. And there he paid the price for our sin. He took our sin upon himself. And he's made salvation a possibility for all mankind. Okay, if we come to Christ, we can and will be saved. Not like Bartimaeus, we need to cry out, have mercy on me. That's the attitude. And we can be healed just like Bartimaeus. And for those of us okay, who are saved, okay, who like Bartimaeus have called out to Christ, have pleaded for mercy and grace, like this blind man, we have been healed immediately and 
completely. Okay, there's nothing left to do. Jesus has finished the work of salvation completely. Salvation is our eternal possession. Okay, we were blind, but now we see. And in light of what Jesus has done for us, we too should respond like Bartimaeus. Notice in verse 52, Jesus tells Bartimaeus to, to go his way. Okay, he gives him the liberty to do as he pleases. And notice what he does. Notice his choice. He followed Jesus. Okay, and that was the right and appropriate response in light of what Jesus had done for him. And in light of the far greater work that Jesus has done for us, isn't it only right and appropriate that we follow him? That should be the effect that the grace of Christ has on all of those who have tasted it. And as one writer said, and it's with this, I'll close. Freely pardoned. We ought to give of ourselves freely and willingly to Christ's service. Bought at so mighty a price as the blood of Christ, we ought to devote ourselves heartily and thoroughly to him who redeemed us. Grace really experienced will make a man feel daily. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us uh, about uh, yourself uh, in this you know, healing uh, miracle of Bartimaeus. Lord, thank you for, for what it pictures. Thank you for the salvation uh, that is ours uh, in Christ. And Lord, may our understanding of who you are and of our salvation be growing and increasing. And uh, may that be fueling us to, to live for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.